Hello, and welcome to A Murderous Affair, the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. This week, we are taking a trip to Argentina, where we are learning about Maria de las Mercedes Bernardina Boya Aponte de Morano. That's a long name, and my accent is terrible, so I apologize. Better known as Yia Morano. Her case is one of the most famous in Argentina, and she was imprisoned for 16 years for committing three different murders. But first... We have two things to talk about. First of which is our resources, which I, for some reason, have been forgetting to say in the actual episodes, but I've been including them in the links for the blog posts and in the description so you can find out more information if you're interested. This week, our references come from Wikipedia. And then we also have the Unknown Misandry article, which covers what they were able to find out about her and her crimes in 1979. And then we have an emuhair.com article, and that one was probably the most helpful in terms of finding more information about the case and the procedure that went into prosecuting her and just generally kind of the timeline of things that happened. So, that takes care of announcement number one. The second announcement is that I have finally started nailing down a more consistent schedule. So, there will be three episodes every month, one episode a week, probably coming out on Saturdays for the foreseeable future. I'm going to need to take one week off every month just to get things lined up for the upcoming episodes, research, writing the podcast, and then in addition to having a full-time job on top of that. And I'd rather take that week to actually put time and effort into coming up with scripts and researching women who are interesting rather than just kind of grabbing the first one that I can and throwing it together. I'd rather have quality over quantity is what I'm saying. So three episodes a month and that's that. So thank you guys so much for listening and without further ado, Let's get back to our murderess. So I'm going to be honest, 16 years really doesn't seem like much when it comes to killing three different people. Yia was born on May 20th, 1930. She was described by those who knew her as being very persuasive and having that silver tongue skill where she could convince anyone of just about anything. Apparently, and I can't seem to find any dates as to when this would have happened or resources other than an article mentioning that Yia had written about this incident in her book, but apparently she'd been in a relationship with an ex-president, Arturo Frondizi, which kind of just blows me away. According to her, it was too short and I honestly don't know if this was before or after she was convicted of three murders, but you would honestly hope that it was before. Yia enjoyed spending money that she didn't have. She apparently liked to act like she had more education, money, and influence than she actually did. She would put herself in debt buying designer clothing and jewelry in order to maintain this image of an influential socialite. Now, somehow, she managed to become an investor for her relatives, even though she had absolutely no investment experience. She convinced them that investing was the way that she was actually able to earn her money and why she afford all these nice things. In return, her relatives and friends would give her their savings from the bank and entrust it to her in exchange for promissory notes, which are basically kind of like formal contracts that say that you will be getting this amount of money on this date. One of them was her cousin, Carmen Zulema. She was a widow whose husband had been a high up important businessman and had left her a lot of money after his death. Yia and Carmen would exchange gifts all the time, 
Carmen would give plants to Yia, who would then, in return, give Carmen baked goods and other treats. Now, in January of 1979, Yia convinced Carmen to give her 20 million pesos that a lawyer friend of hers could invest and multiply the income from. Carmen agreed, and Yia returned with a promissory note that she had signed, saying that as the person entrusted with this money, she would return all of it, including interest, on March 27th of that same year. So, March 24th, Carmen started feeling sick, sick enough to run out of her apartment to try and find help. She was so overcome by this pain that she ended up tripping and rolling head over heels down the stairs. The building manager called an ambulance, and her neighbors stayed with her while waiting for the ambulance. But Yia, who was also there that day, told the building manager that she needed a copy of the keys to her cousin's apartment so that she could get a notebook that had their relative's contact information. Carmen ended up dying and her death was written off as a non-traumatic cardiac arrest. But a few days after her mother's death, Carmen's daughter went to the police and said that there was a promissory note that insured her mother's money that was missing, and it looked like her apartment had been ransacked. The police went back to interrogate the witnesses who had present at the time Carmen had collapsed, and the doorman had some pretty interesting things to say about that day. He'd said Yia had, quote, entered the apartment, and when she left, she was carrying a vial and some papers. And as she'd left, he remembered that she'd cried out dramatically, Quote, my God, she's the third friend I have that will die in a short time. Now, this wasn't a kind of proclamation or a prediction of Yia's. Apparently, Carmen was, in fact, the third person within a span of two months that Yia had known who had died suddenly. This... This, along with the missing promissory notes, were enough to open an investigation into the cause of death. They exhumed Carmen's body and found traces of cyanide in her stomach. Yia was the first suspect due to her suspicious behavior the day of and the days following Carmen's death. So, see, that comment she made about Carmen being the third friend, that would come back to haunt her. Two others who had been close to Yia had also died in February of that same year. Their deaths were also under investigation. The first friend of Yia's who had died was Nilda Gamba. She'd lived at the apartment right next door to Yia's, and on February 10th, she'd gone to have dinner at Yia's house and stayed there until around 1 in the morning. The next day, on February 11th, the doorman noticed something wrong. Every morning, he delivered the newspaper to her, and Nilda would come out to pick it up from him. But on that morning, Nilda didn't come get the paper. In fact, despite the fact that he knew she was home, because he'd seen her come home very late, she didn't respond to him when he knocked. As the day grew longer, the doorman grew more and more worried. Eventually, he called the police and they managed to force entry into her apartment. There, they found her lying on the floor, holding her stomach with her left hand, dead. When her body was exhumed later on, after the investigation into Yia was open, it contained the same traces of cyanide poisoning that Carmen's had. One of the investigators made a note that both Carmen and Nilda had similar baked pastries in their fridge. On February 19th of the same year, Yia planned a trip with another one of her close friends, Lila Formisano de Ayala. However, on the day of, the doorman of the building remembers seeing Yia coming back to the complex multiple times. The first time he saw Yia was when she ran into this doorman on their way out. The second time was about an hour later, when he saw Yia returning alone, saying that Lila had come back because she wasn't feeling well. She then said that she couldn't get a hold of Lila at all and was very worried for her. The doorman offered to 
buzz Leela's apartment, but Yia refused, saying that it was better for her to rest. The third time Yia returned was later that night, to let Leela know that she had bought them movie tickets for a movie they planned to see. There was still no answer from Leela in the apartment, at this point, the doorman became worried. The police found that Leela was dead and her body had been sitting in front of the TV for three days. There were also baked goods, similar to those found in the other two women's fridges, that had traces of cyanide. Yia was arrested on April 27, 1979. When she was interrogated, she admitted, she admitted that all three women had given her money to borrow. However, she couldn't have been the one to give them the poison. Her reasoning for this was because she didn't know how to bake. And how could she ever do something like poison her three friends with baked goods if she didn't know how to bake? Definitely not the most ironclad excuse that I've ever heard. So, Yia was housed in the Aziza prison from her arrest until 1982, when a judge seemingly absolved her of all charges and set her free. And this is where her story gets a little bit confusing. So we need to do a quick history recap. From 1976 to 1982, Argentina went through this kind of coup, and in 1985, the governors who had taken over the country from the military were brought to trial for crimes against their country. That's basically the most simplistic history lesson I can give. So in 1982, when Yia was released from prison, it seems like she was more released on bail and then forgotten about until 1985 when these trials were kind of starting to come to an end. And it was in 1985 that she was officially convicted of murder and then sentenced to 16 years in prison. There's some of these articles that I'm reading are Spanish translated, and while I can read Spanish and understand it pretty well, it's hard for me to kind of take the main ideas and revert them to English. So that's where the explanation gets a little bit muddled. But I'm pretty sure from what I've been able to research that that's kind of what happened. That's kind of like a good way, that's kind of a good way to interpret what happened. Now, Yia was actually released early and she had maintained her innocence the entire time. When she was released, she sent boxes of chocolates to the judges who had agreed to her early release in order to thank them and actually appears on television sometimes when they do special editions, when they do special coverages of her case or to give her perspective of what happened and also to profess her innocence. Now, Despite this, her son claims the opposite and actually wrote a tell-all book condemning his mother and claiming that she had admitted her guilt to him. Yia currently resides in a geriatric residence, and that is the story of Yia Murano, which is kind of a whirlwind of a story if I'm being honest. I would love to know what you thought of this week's Murderess, what you think of our new posting schedule. And just if there's any more information you have about Yia but that maybe I didn't cover or something that I may have mistranslated, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me at Frumius Reads, F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S, on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Facebook. You could also go to frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair, and there you'll find kind of the podcast homepage. Um, you'll find written transcripts of all of our episodes, and you'll find some cool merch if you're interested in seeing that. That's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next week. All right, stay spooky, friends. Goodbye!